welcome to Fraser Basin Council's First Nations Home Energy Save podcast. I'm your host, Darla Simpson, coming to you from beautiful North Vancouver, British Columbia, traditional Squamish territory. Something a little different today. I'm going to be switching chairs as the guest, and my colleague Dami is going to be sitting in the host chair today. Welcome, Dami. Thank you very much, Darla. How's your day going? I'm here, and I'm, I'm ready to talk all about benchmarking. Well, that's awesome. So this podcast series has been working through a number of energy management and technical training topics. But today we're going to be tackling benchmarking just to dive right into it right away. First off, what is benchmarking Darla? Can you tell us why we do it and why it's important and essentially what it is? Absolutely. So essentially benchmarking is just a way of comparing our buildings either over time or between similar buildings to get a sense of how they're performing. And when we talk about benchmarking, we're talking specifically performance from an energy management perspective. And the reason that we do this is because energy is hidden. Uh, You can't exactly walk through a neighborhood and say, that house is energy efficient, that house is not. Um, It's all hidden behind the walls. So the more that we can kind of bring that to the forefront and make it visible, the more that we can start to manage it and, and address it proactively. Completely agreed. I feel like no one has that superpower, at least no one that I've met. So I can see why this would come in handy. (laughs) I will say the exception is walking around your neighborhood after the first snowfall. You can see all the roofs that need insulation. And yeah, that's that's maybe the one exception. (laughs) So now we know what benchmarking is. How can we use it? Well, for the most part, like I mentioned, benchmarking is really um, giving you an indication of where to focus your effort. So what are the buildings that are poorest performers? And those are the ones that we want to focus on first. They have the most room for improvement. Um, As you're doing your benchmarking and looking through some of the information that you're gathering, it'll start to give you hints about where to investigate further. So for example, if your electricity use in one building is way higher than a comparable building, that's a place to start. I'm going to start investigating why my electricity is higher in that one particular building. So it, it does point at, at some of the issues that we might be able to uh, to tackle. It also allows us to demonstrate savings. So if I want to prove how effective a renewal project has been, say, replacing windows, I can look at the history of my building, the energy it's consumed in the past, and the energy it's consumed post-retrofit, and I can get a sense of the magnitude of the savings. And that gives me a really good argument, for example, for going back and saying, hey, we really need to invest in this more often. Look at the savings we were able to generate in this one particular instance. And then the last application, and I think one of the most interesting ones uh, from my perspective, because I deal mostly in the the realm of people, um, is it can help engaging with residents. So uh, when we know what we're consuming, when we get curious about how we're using energy, we often have right away a bump in our energy savings. Just that increase in awareness helps to drive some energy conservation behaviors. Absolutely. So it sounds to me that benchmarking isn't just something you do at the beginning of the life of a building or at the end. It's really something that you should start with and do all the way throughout the life of the building and even through the implementation of energy conservation measures. Absolutely. So benchmarking is really just a snapshot in time for the most part. And so the more of those snapshots we have, the more we can see how our building is changing over time and, uh, and, and then how of that inform what we do in terms of our maintenance procedures or 
retrofit uh, initiatives, that sort of thing. Okay, so now we know what benchmarking is, and it sounds like it really is a really valuable tool in your arsenal when it comes to energy conservation. Question is, why isn't everyone doing it already? Well, I think for many people, there's a couple of barriers, especially when you're working in the residential housing management area. The first thing that people run into is a bit of an informational barrier, because you may have uh, some utility bills that are paid by the owners of the housing. So typically your natural gas is paid by whomever owns the house. Um, But then if you have renters in there or others, they may pay the electricity bill and then you don't have access to that information. So there might be an informational barrier there. It can be hard to get the utility data and and then use that to do the analysis, particularly for some of the housing managers we work with who've got you know 200 buildings, that might actually be a pretty significant barrier for them. I would say, and we kind of touched on this earlier, time is often a significant barrier. It, it's you know not insignificant to set these up. Um, and if, depending on how much data you're tracking over what period of time, it can be a little overwhelming. So understanding how much information you need and how often you want to update that information is often one of the things that, that housing managers are going to look at. You have to find that optimal point where you get just enough data that you can make it useful, but it's not so much data that it's consuming all your operations time. Absolutely. There's, there's a diminishing returns to the amount of data you can get lost in it and after a while it may not be adding value absolutely i've definitely fallen victim to that rabbit hole a few times so never happens to engineers never (laughs) um another barrier especially in british columbia i find is that it can be difficult to know what normal is for your community so you know what's normal for the south okanagan in terms of an energy use profile is not normal for uh for saint james it's very different, um, very different building performance. So trying to figure out what your normal is, what your baseline is, and what you should be targeting can be a little bit challenging for your community. And then finally, benchmarking doesn't tell us what to do. It just tells us where there might be a problem and where to focus. <laughs> so it's, it's giving you hints, but it's not solving the problem for you. So most people tend to try to skip to the problem solving part and sometimes miss out on the uh, taking a step back and, and making sure they're being the most effective with their time. But we're going to talk about all those throughout the podcast and, and try and address those barriers for folks. Yeah, that particular last one you said about where it, it kind of is the beacon that points you where you're supposed to go. It, to me, trying to solve your building's energy conservation problems without benchmarking sounds like it's trying to answer a question on an exam without reading the question. And so it sounds like it's a crucial first step that you have to take before you rein in on those energy conservation measures that are really important. Definitely. And I think many energy managers or many housing managers get stuck in that cycle of emergency response, complaint, repair. And it can be hard to get out of that cycle But again, if you can find the time to step back and look strategically at all of your houses or all of your building stock and focus your efforts, you can get out in front of those those issues before they start becoming urgent trouble calls on your Monday morning. (laughs) And we could all use a little less of urgent calls on Monday mornings. Definitely. Later in the podcast, you're going to walk us through the most common ways that energy management professionals benchmark. For those of you listening, this is a good time to refer to the resource that comes with the podcast, has some graphs that you can follow along with if you're more of a visual learner. 
for example, that first graphic we're looking at, it's not benchmarking, is it? It's looking at energy. Absolutely. So the simplest way to start tackling this is um, comparing a single house's performance over time. And so when we do that in, in energy management, we typically look at a three-year history and then we look at our current year of performance. And the reason that we do that is weather from year to year isn't the same. So if we look at a three-year history, uh, it starts to average out the warmer and colder years and you start to see more of a trend line. And then you can compare your building's performance now with that historical trend line. And so say you have a major renovation and you wanna see how energy efficient it's making your building, you can go ahead and use that three years of energy history, compare it against your performance after the renovation, and you'll be able to see the difference in the energy use and the energy saved. For a lot of people listening to this, the dollar signs, the money is a huge driver, if not the major driver for their energy conservation efforts. They're either paying the utility bills themselves or they're working hard to keep housing affordable in their community. And benchmarking utility costs is one way we can compare between homes. Can you elaborate a bit more about that? So absolutely, yes. The easiest way to look at affordability in our houses is to look at the annual cost of utilities in each building and compare them. Um, and so the wonderful thing is that BC Hydro and Fortis BC, they actually keep energy histories for you. So all of that data is available in your uh, my hydro account or in your Fortis BC electric or, or gas account. Um, and they typically have those histories for as long as you have held the account. So all of that data is in there. You can add up the annual cost of the utilities and, and then compare across your portfolio. One of the interesting things is when you start looking at the costs of different utilities in your portfolio, so the difference between, say, electricity and natural gas or other fuel sources, you'll start to see some patterns emerge across your housing. So you might see some houses that have very similar electrical loads, and then, as I mentioned, one that's considerably higher. So right off the bat, that's giving you some signals that there's something funky happening with that one house. Um, in the example that we have in the, in the podcast resource, you can see um, number 30 there is consuming way more electricity than other sites. And so that's worth looking into. Uh, site 5, on the other hand, is costing almost nothing. And be wary of those because that doesn't mean that it's efficient. <laughs> it might be telling you it's unoccupied right now. Um, so do watch for those outliers that might not really have relevant data. Um, but for the most part, you're going to see a nice bell curve of, of uh, utility costs across your portfolio. And then you can start comparing between them. So if you look at site 22, which is costing 20% more than the next closest site, that might be the one that you're tempted to start with. The thing is, this is only really telling us part of the story. The utility cost isn't just, it's not, that's not the entire story. It can be influenced by a number of factors. It can be influenced by the efficiency of your building. It can be influenced by the size of your building, the type of energy you use, how expensive that is. Essentially, there are a myriad of factors. And that's where we get into the topic of energy use intensity, isn't it? Absolutely. So energy use intensity is what we would recommend you use to, to look at your building's energy efficiency. 
And really, all that is is the amount of energy consumed divided by the size of the building. So what this does is it allows us to normalize for the size of the building. So in our example, um, Site 30, which was costing us the most in utilities, it actually only has the third highest energy use intensity because it's a really big building it doesn't necessarily mean it's inefficient. It's going to cost us more, but it's just more square footage. So to get our energy use intensity, what we have to do is convert our electricity into uh, units of joules. So one kilowatt hour is 3,600 kilojoules. And I will say here, you can Google how to do the, the, the translations to get it into the right units, um, but definitely make sure you're using the same units. So joules, kilojoules, gigajoules, whatever it may be, divided by meters squared or square feet, um, and then you'll be able to compare across your buildings. Um, and, you know, go with what you're most comfortable with, but just make sure that your units are matching. And so that's going to give us more of an insight into how our building's actually using uh, energy and if our energy use in intensity is really high in one building that's telling us that building is inefficient for some reason if it's really low it's telling us it's very efficient and it's kind of normalizing for the size of the building so for example again we can refer back to the resource where you know site 2 had the fourth highest energy cost um, but it has the highest energy use intensity. So the potential for energy savings is actually greatest in site two, not in site 30. So if I'm looking to kind of bang for my buck, um, improve energy efficiency where the most opportunity is, that's where I'm gonna start. If I'm looking strictly to reduce my costs and that's the priority that I wanna look at, I would look at site 30, which has the highest uh, utility cost of all the buildings. So just different ways to kind of look at the data or different views through the data that tell us different things. And then if you look at the energy use intensity across the buildings, what you can do is create an average across all of your buildings. So that's your benchmark. That's your average of all buildings. And if you wanna be really keen, basically everything above that average has, has the potential to be more energy efficient. Everything below that average is uh, doing not so bad, so maybe you can put off looking at those for right now. Speaking about looking at things from different perspectives, we've talked about looking at benchmarking from an affordability perspective. We've talked about looking at it from an energy use intensity perspective, but there are some people listening that are probably concerned or most concerned about GHG emissions. We know that some communities, some building managers, their mandate is not to reduce dollar signs or even energy use intensity, but to reduce their carbon intensity. And it's important to know that they're not the same thing because you can have a very efficient system that's still carbon intensive. Can you give us a bit more about that? Absolutely. So um, if one of your community's objectives is to reduce your carbon footprint, to lower your carbon intensity, then you definitely want to look at GHG emissions as well. And uh, that's a straight up calculation. What is my energy source? Uh, how many uh, kilograms or how many tons of carbon is uh, produced from each gigajoule of energy that I'm using? And then you can compare across your buildings that way as well. And so uh, I will refer folks back to our first podcast on the financial case for energy management. It has the emission factors in there. 
Again, you can Google them for your province uh, and your particular utility. Um, they are different in different provinces. So BC with our, with our hydroelectric uh, has a relatively low carbon intensity. Um, other provinces where they might be using coal-fired electricity would have a different carbon intensity. So make sure you've got the right carbon intensity or uh, carbon emission factor for your community. Um, but it's another way, just another lens that we can look at our, our energy consumption through. And for me, you know, if I'm looking across all those three lenses, so affordability, energy intensity, and GHG emissions, if I'm seeing a building in the top four or five in all three of those categories, that's like a win across the board. That's an easy opportunity for me <laughs> and an easy argument to make in terms of investing my retrofit dollars if they're limited. Absolutely. I think that's that really is one of the one of the powers of benchmarking is that you can benchmark different factors. And then, like you said, if you see one building consistently performing poorly, then you know for a fact that you are going to get a return on your money or you're going to meet your objectives, whether they be reducing EUI or reducing carbon intensity, if you focus on that building. So now we've looked at three major ways through which we can benchmark. We've looked at affordability, we've looked at energy use intensity, and we've also looked at carbon intensity for those of you who are concerned about that. How do we decide which of these to use for a benchmark? What should we be aiming for? What should the standard be? So I recommend looking primarily at your energy use intensity. That's the one that's going to be most easily comparable across buildings and is probably going to give you the best information about where to focus in terms of the biggest opportunities. So if you if you graph your energy use intensity for all of your houses, you'll start to see what the distribution looks like in your community. So most communities are gonna have a standard bell curve. We're gonna have some really efficient houses, we're gonna have some really inefficient houses, and then the great majority of them is gonna be somewhere in the middle. If you have a big enough data set, uh, you can start to look at what the characteristics of the well-performing buildings are and the poor-performing buildings are, and that's going to give you more information about your, your particular community and maybe some of the challenges that you're having in your housing in particular. Um, you know, in my community where I live, if I were to do a, a energy use intensity distribution for all of the housing, I would see two bumps. So we have a, a big group of houses that were built uh, in the 1930s, 1940s, another big um, bump of houses that were built more in the 70s and 80s. Um, so I'm actually going to see a double hump in my distribution, and that's telling me different things about when those uh, houses were built, but also um, how energy efficient they are and what the opportunities are in each of them. So that's, that's one way we can look across our portfolio of buildings and start to get a sense of where we sit. And then if you want to take one building or one house and just see where it sits on that curve, uh, once you have the curve, analyze that one building and you can say, oh, okay, actually this one's doing pretty good or no, wait a minute, this one's got a long way to go. So um, doing that, that energy use intensity distribution, you could do that once every couple of years and then that's going to help inform every, uh, every house that you look at for, for the next period of time. It kind of sounds like then that energy use distribution is benchmarking, but just on a community wide scale. Is that correct? Absolutely. And you can use other benchmarks. So there's, there's a federal energy use intensity. There's a provincial energy use intensity. BC Hydro will compare against your neighbors. Um, 
so you can you can use the ones that exist uh, out there, or you can start to look at your own portfolio of buildings, which might have some unique components to it. And for those of you wondering what that that bell curve curve Darla talked about looks like, there is actually a pretty detailed graphic of that in the handouts as well. So you can take a look at that if you're if you're curious about that. Now we've talked about a lot of good things so far, but all of it hinges on getting access to utility data. How do we do that? For example, how do we get electricity data if you want to benchmark electricity? Yeah, so as I mentioned, pretty much everybody in the province is on uh, BC Hydro or Fortis BC Electric. So they have all the energy history as part of their, uh, their, their tracking software. So working with the residents to sign up and complete a My Hydro profile form, and then you can uh, click the link in the confirmation email and it'll, it'll link directly to your existing account. And then uh, you you can view your consumption and changes to your com- consumption over time. And so there's a, a handy little little report feature where they can actually export three years of data. You get it in Excel file. Um, super super simple. Um, the other way that you can do it, and, and this is maybe a bit more uh, controversial for some of the residents, they may not want you to be in their accounts, um, but you can actually link accounts. So you can have third parties that are able to see your data, um, and export your data, use it for their own, for their own purposes. And when I work with my clients, that's, they often add me to their accounts for a period of time so that I can just go in and and grab whatever data I need for the period of time I need it. It's super handy and it's low stress for the residents. Um, and then the other thing that's relatively new is if you're working in multifamily buildings, if you have a building that's got more than 10 units, you can do a consolidated energy report. And so um, there's a, a kind of an application you have to go through, um, but it'll give you the consolidated electrical use for all of the units in your building, even if they're private residential units. So you'll get a sense of what the entire building is using for electricity, and then you've already got your natural gas data, likely. Um, So right there, you've got all all the things that you need. Okay, so once we go through those steps and get that electricity data, especially the historical data, it can give us some clues about our home and where we might find some energy saving opportunities, correct? Absolutely. So right off the bat, you can look at your consumption history. For electricity, you can look week over week or month over month, year to year, and it's going to tell you different things. Um, again, I'm going to refer folks to the the accompanying resource, lots of graphs in this one. But um, if you look at monthly data over multiple years, some of the things you might want to watch for you can see in the in the data set that we have, there's kind of a general upward trend. Um, so upward trends or downward trends over time. We want downward trends. We don't want upward trends. Um, that's telling us that our con- consumption is kind of rising for one one or more reasons. Not uncommon, but uh, might be an indicator of something that's might be an indicator of increased load, or it might be an indicator of something that's uh, starting to cause problems and might fail. Is consuming more energy. The other thing we want to look for is kind of more dramatic step ups or step downs in the data. So typically we see those when there's new equipment, um, there's maybe been a change to the operation of the building, usually something that's fairly dramatic to be able to see it in, in the energy consumption. You may have some other issues in your building that you need to look into, some some performance related issues. And uh, yeah, so anytime you're seeing erratic, erratic data, uh, that is, is worthy of more investigation 
this particular building that we're looking at, if it had air conditioning in the summer, you might see a little bump in the summer months for the additional uh, air conditioning load. Um, but if you are electrically heated, you will see, you tend to see strong seasonality. So you'll see the heating load in the winter and then possibly a cooling load in the summer, depending on your building. So that's the other thing to watch for. So looking at this, once we get this natural gas data, looking at the at the data, what are some clues or some tells we want to be looking out for that can point us in the direction of issues or opportunities we want to investigate further? Absolutely. So natural gas is usually used for heating. It might also be used for hot water, maybe cooking. But as a general rule, it's going to have a really strong seasonal distribution. So you're going to see high consumption in the winter months, low consumption or no consumption, ideally, in the summer months, if, if all you're doing is using natural gas for heating. Um, if you are seeing summer natural gas consumption, that might be hot water. Um, it might be, uh, you know, something as simple as a pilot light, uh, or it might be for cooking. So you might see a baseline of natural gas consumption over the summer. If you're seeing high natural gas consumption over the summer, that's a sign that you definitely should get in there and do some more investigating. Uh, there's probably a good, a good opportunity to bring that down. So we've talked about natural gas and we've talked about electricity, but I'm sure some of our listeners don't use either of that for their heating. And we also do benchmarking in communities that have other heating sources like fuel oil or propane or diesel. The short answer is yes, um, but there are more limitations. Um, so basically you get your delivery, your invoice is going to have the time of the delivery and it's going to have the, the liters or the amount of fuel that's been transferred into your storage tanks. Um, so what you can do is you can divide the energy consumed by the number of days in the billing period and that's going to give you an average consumption by day. So you can definitely use that and it'll give you kind of a, a general historical trend um, because it doesn't actually show you when the energy is being used or how it breaks down day to day or week over week. Maybe you're only getting a propane delivery once every three or four months. Then it's going to hide some of the data or some of the interesting data for you. But you can definitely still do it. And even just, again, looking at your annual propane consumption, for example, and uh, factoring that into your energy use intensity is going to give you information about which buildings you should be focusing on in, in terms of your entire portfolio of buildings. So we've talked about all the ways you can obtain the data you need, be it for electricity, be it for natural gas, be it for some more unconventional methods like fuel oil and propane and diesel. And now we're gonna talk about some benchmarking tools available to you for free to dissect that data. But before we go into those, really the, tool, the tools you need can't be as simple as an Excel file, correct? Absolutely, and even as a you know, a smaller size engineering firm, we use Excel a lot when we're looking at energy data. And uh, because Hydro, BC Hydro and Fortis BC allow you to ex export utility data into a CSV or Excel file, this can be a really easy way to start looking at the houses in your portfolio. Any of the graphs that we've talked about today, you can generate just using the Excel data. Um, so anybody with some moderate Excel skills can set this up and it's really a good way to start even just playing with it and testing out, you know, energy use intensity range of your buildings. Yeah. I, I am one of those people that swear by Excel. I mean, 
like Darla mentioned, we use Excel a lot, but even in, in other areas, personally, I just, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's grocery lists or nutrition, I, I love Excel. So if Excel can help me get my, my food plan on track, then it can definitely help <laughs> you with your benchmarking goals. I can say as a non-engineer, I don't love it that much. <laughs> <laughs> But but even I can do some some pretty simple benchmarking calculations in Excel. You do not have to be a master user to get some really good value out of it. Okay, so now we've talked about Excel, and you can, like we said, you don't have to be a wizard at Excel to use Excel for benchmarking. But let's let's go into some some more specialized public tools, shall we say? Let's start with the Enter Guide for Houses. Absolutely. So, Enter Guide for Houses is a federal program. Um, it's part of uh, Natural Resources Canada. Um, and so what happens with EnerGuide for Houses is you can hire a certified energy advisor to come out and complete an evaluation of your home. Uh, they do an analysis of it, and then they provide a number of recommendations for where you can maximize your energy efficiency. They'll also compare that building against a benchmark of buildings, so you get a sense of how it's performing relative to other, other houses. Um, and so this is a really good snapshot in time of how your building is performing. And if you are planning a major retrofit or a more significant retrofit, or you've got a house that you know just needs a fair bit of help, uh, this is a really great way to get started. So a certified energy advisor, a pre-upgrade inspection is going to cost somewhere between four and $600. There may be some additional fees. Post-upgrade, uh, you can have them come in after the renovation has happened and they'll do another inspection. So this is, again, it's just a way to verify that the building is performing as you intended. And that post upgrade inspection is about two to $300. So a really great tool that you can use. Um, and the certified energy advisors, they're, they're really quite good at helping you diagnose some of the challenges in your building. And I, I will say, you know, at the, at the recording of this podcast, there's some really great incentives through Clean BC to help cover the cost of a certified energy advisor. Um, so even if you wanted to have them come in and, and say do four or five houses in your community, um, some of the troublemakers that might be on your plate, um, even in our more remote communities, if they're coming in and doing a couple of different houses, you can help keep those costs down and you can get a really good sense of where your housing's at and where you want to focus. Yeah, for a lot of you listening on the line, you are probably here because you want to transform your existing buildings, and that's that's what EnerGuide was created for. However, there are some of you on the line that are also looking for tips or tools to to apply to new construction that's either in the in the works or coming up, and that's where we talk about. The Energy Star certification. I know many of you have probably heard this with regards to appliances, but homes can actually be Energy Star certified as well, can't they? Definitely. So, EnerGuide for houses is for existing homes, and then there's Energy Star certified homes for new construction. And there's a couple of things uh, about this. You you need to hire an Energy Star builder. Um, after it's built out, the uh, certified energy advisor will come through and do an inspection, and then you'll get an Energy Star label, which is telling you that the, the house is built to and performing to this particular specification of performance. Uh, it's based on space and water heating primarily. You can check out CleanBC for incentives for this as well. 
I will say that with British Columbia and because of the step code for new construction, um, just making sure that that you're you're achieving the level on the step code that you want to, uh, and Energy Star Builder can help you do that. It sounds like those are great, both the Energuide program and the Energy Star certification. Those are great tools for houses. What about multifamily homes? The Natural Resources Canada has their Energy Star portfolio manager tool for commercial and institutional buildings. But is there a benchmark for multifamily homes right now? So this is an area of benchmarking or just kind of, it's one area where we lack a lot of information. And in part because of some of the the barriers that we talked about, the informational barriers we talked about earlier. Natural Resources Canada, as part of their their um, energy efficiency initiatives, have a tool called Energy Energy Star Portfolio Manager. And like you said, this is mostly used for commercial and institutional buildings. It hasn't historically been used for multifamily buildings. Um, however, you can uh, set your multifamily building up in Energy Star Portfolio Manager. Uh, it tracks you know, waste, it tracks water, as well as energy. So setting it up with just the basics is probably the first place to start. The really brilliant thing, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is uh, Fortis BC and uh, BC Hydro will automatically up- upload uh, utility data to Energy Star Portfolio Manager. So what once you set up and link your accounts, it's all done automatically, so you don't have to do the updates to benchmark your building. Uh, all of the data is going in there. Um, and for multifamily buildings, again, if you have 10 or more homes, you can set up a consolidated account. Uh, and so you can actually see the electricity from the residents as well as the electrical load for the entire building or the common areas. So it's, it's a really great tool for multifamily homes. I encourage folks to sign up for it. Um, unfortunately, ESPM doesn't have a benchmark for multifamily homes yet. The, it's just not been an area of focus for them. And I, I, you know, I'm not sure how big their database is around that. However, there's a pilot program in British Columbia called Building Benchmark BC. And so what they do is they link with your ESPM account, um, they download your data, and then they'll produce a scorecard for your multifamily building, comparing it with other multifamily buildings in the province. And uh, that also comes with suggestions for um, energy efficiency opportunities in your building based on age, based on performance, and kind of uh, some of the other uh, information that you would put into your ESPM account. So this is a new tool. Uh, it's going to take a little bit time to build up the database for MERBs, um, but it's really exciting to have a benchmarking tool like that available to British Columbians, especially because so many of us are living in multifamily houses now. Going back to those barriers to benchmarking that you flagged at the beginning, so for example, the information barrier, the the time, the the problems with defining what normal is and then actually acting. We've addressed some of those as as we talk through this podcast, but just to provide any extra tips for our listeners right now, is there anything else that comes to mind or anything else that people should keep at the back of their mind as they start or even continue in their benchmarking journey? Definitely. So in terms of the informational barrier, uh, I say start with what you have. You don't have to have ev- access to every house's utilities to, to start extracting some really useful information. 
you know, uh, this does fall under the Freedom of Information Act, so it's protected information. Interestingly enough, I thought folks would maybe be a little bit shy about sharing this, this information. Turns out, not at all. That's like maybe one in 20 asks me about privacy concerns. Most of them are more than happy to share their data, uh, especially if they know that it's going to help them support, you know, a, a healthier, more efficient, lower cost housing. They're, they're all in. They're willing to help. Um, in terms of time, it does take time, especially to set up your, your data set. Um, and so I, I'm a big fan of summer students. <laughs> This is a really good summer student project to kind of get it set up, even to collaborate with residents to access the utility data. Um, realistically, you only have to update your data maybe once a year, and that's probably sufficient for your planning purposes uh, to start getting a sense of where you need to focus your efforts. And then if you want to dig down into an analyzing a particular house in more detail, um, then you can definitely do that. Um, but in terms of setting up your whole portfolio of buildings, um, definitely check into local training programs. Even some of our universities have uh, requirements for, for uh, public projects. Uh, you might be able to sign up through one of those, through UBC's uh, Clean Energy Engineering Project, for example. Um, especially if you're looking to benchmark for an entire community, that may be an interesting project. And then in terms of defining normal or, or figuring out what benchmarks to work with, uh, you can always start with the ones that are publicly available. They're going to be close enough for most people's purposes. Um, so you can use the, the federal or the provincial uh, benchmarks that are available. Even the ones that are available through BC Hydro and Fortis BC, those are going to be pretty close to, to what your community is using. Um, and then, you know, as you start to benchmark against, benchmark your buildings against that uh, that definition of normal, you'll start to see that, oh, you know what, as a general rule, we're going to be on the high side of this benchmark or the low side of the benchmark. And so you can adjust from there. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect to still give you good information. Yeah, I feel I feel like Darla has touched on a lot of the impediments you're likely to face when when starting out on your benchmarking journey or just just keeping that journey flowing smoothly. But I personally feel like the time factor probably one of or if not the biggest impediment for many of you online and as Darla mentioned a great way to tackle that is to to get in some 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 student help either through the summer or maybe doing a co-op semester or maybe as an internship I personally feel like that would have been something I would have been really interested and keen on doing when I was in school and so for me that's a win-win you get some help with your benchmarking and on the other side, the student or whoever it is that helps you with this gets some knowledge and gets some exposure to the energy industry and the engineering industry. So personally, yeah, win-win. You know, so much of our time as housing managers is spent in that, you know, like we said before, in that, you know, urgent call, complaint, respond, um, you know, and so this is one way that we can kind of get out in front of that before the problems happen. Um, and you can you can bring in other pieces of information here too. Like, you know, um, I know that I have a bunch of housing stock that's coming up on 20 years old. I know that most of those heating systems, they're aging out. They're, they're, they're coming near their effective end of life at 20 years rather than having 10 houses in my community have their, their heating systems fail at the same time. I'm going to start picking off the ones that are the poorest performers a few years early and get out in front of that, that, uh, that big hump that's coming. So, um, 
it's a it's a really great tool to start focusing on high impact and high priority opportunities. And as we mentioned before, just the simple act of working with your residents to sign up for My Hydro or, or the Fortis Online accounts is going to give them insight into their energy use and right off the bat, that's going to help them bring down their their uh, energy use intensity. And even within those programs for residents, there's some great tools in there. Um, I know Hydro has a competition that uh, you can sign up if you reduce your energy use by 10% over the course of a year, you get $50 back. And who doesn't love money back on their utility bills? It's like winning the lottery, right? (laughs) I mean, definitely, definitely. I would count as one of those people that definitely wants money back on my utility bill. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I feel like the the catchphrase for benchmarking should be something like, are you tired of chasing calls left, right and center? Do you want to claim your Monday mornings back? Well, we have the answer for you. Benchmarking. (laughs) Absolutely. You're hired. Marketing manager. (laughs) Well, that's everything we have for you today, folks. A huge, huge, huge big thanks to Darla for taking the energy to walk us through benchmarking, what it is, and how we can take advantage of it in our communities, in our buildings. For more information on the Home Energy Save program, or to download the next podcast in this series, please visit Fraser Basin Council's website and the First Nations Home Energy Save webpage. You'll find a companion resource for this podcast, along with visuals and links to incentive programs and resources available to Indigenous communities in BC. You can also sign up for their newsletter to learn about new training opportunities and support programs as they become available. Thanks for listening. See you soon. This podcast has been developed by SES Consulting as part of Fraser Basin Council's First Nations Home Energy Safe program. The program is sponsored by the Province of British Columbia, BC Hydro, Fortis BC, and the Real Estate Foundation of BC. Production by Aaron Trazo of Bird Media. Can you hear my cat? I was just going to ask, do you have a cat or am I imagining thing? Okay. Just so. one minute. I'm going to go deal with that. <laughs>